My dad, Stan Gleason, joins me again on the podcast here to talk with us about his brand new book, A Culture of Generosity, available at Pentecostal Publishing, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and more. Check the show notes for more details. Hey, Dad, welcome back to the podcast. How are we doing today? Thank you, Justin. It's an honor to be here. And I greet all of your listeners. I'm looking forward to this conversation today because this is a very important subject. And I think just like your past two books that have been met with tremendous response, uh, The Unflawed Leader and Follow to Lead have been transformational in the thinking and the actions and the process of people in our fellowship. And I think this book is also going to do the same thing. It's a book about giving. And uh, as far as I know, I've never seen a book from an oneness apostolic preacher on giving. <laughs> I think we're too scared to write about it. Well, um, we our resources are limited uh, under the canopy of UPCI regarding stewardship. And um, I've had no choice but to study stewardship hmm. early on as a church leader and pastor. Um, and so this really is more than a book about giving. It's a book about how are you living your life mm. and the stewardship of our life. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And what we learn from that verse is that God owns everything but he has invited us to be his managers of all his stuff. Right. And so that's the big idea of the book. That's a great idea. And you write in this book, um, you put no difference between, how do I want to say this? You put no difference between, as far as in a spiritual context, between giving, generosity, all of that, and then uh, fasting, prayer, disciple making, all of those things. You, you write your a main point you make is finances are just as spiritual as fasting, prayer, disciple making, worship, Bible reading, and every other aspect of our faithfulness to God. How, how is giving just as spiritual as prayer, fasting, all those things? Well, it really is because uh, giving demonstrates to God our partnership with Him. I know that there's a certain element of believer that thinks, well, you know, fasting spiritual, worship is spiritual, speaking with tongues is spiritual, being at church is spiritual, but, you know, money's money, and it's carnal, and giving is spiritual. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, he said, if you are not faithful with your finances, who will commit to your trust the true riches of heaven? Exactly. So here's one sort of, I don't know, interpretation of that, or maybe a paraphrase. If we as, so here's the thing. The average wage earner in America <clears throat> is going to have $2.5 million passed through their hands in their, in their uh, working career. Think about that. $2.5 million. That's a lot of money. And 
don't tell me that God is not interested in how we're stewarding our lives. Mm. You know, uh, does he want us to pray every day? Yes. Does he want us to spend time in his word every day? Yes. Should we, as a personal spiritual discipline, fast? Yes. Should we go to the house of God? Yes. But what are we doing with our finances? And um, I said a long time ago that your calendar and your bank statements are theological documents. Hmm. Don't tell me how serious you are about following Jesus unless you let me look at your calendar. Are you planning time for him? Are you planning time for his mission? Are you making disciples? Are you being faithful to God's house? And then let me see your bank statement. I don't mean that literally, but... Mm-hmm. You know, as a consideration, what is your bank statement saying? There's some pastors, though, that do look at that. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're well, we out there. We don't endorse that in this book. No. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, they, I'm sure they're out there, but um, that's really a personal thing. Amen. And I mean that in hyperbolic language, but uh, the your, your bank statement and your calendar are theological documents because they tell the story about how you are executing the command of biblical stewardship of Absolutely. your life. Amen. Well, that's good. And let me say one more thing yeah. to answer that question. So how is giving spiritual? You don't get promoted by God in God's kingdom unless you are faithful with money. And any wise pastor will look at someone's giving record before they assign them any job in the church. Hmm. I learned a long time ago, don't give somebody a job in hopes that they'll become faithful. Hmm. But only reward those who are faithful. Uh Paul said this in so many words to Timothy when he said, Timothy, the things that I've committed to you, you turn around and share with faithful men, people who've already proven themselves to be faithful. Mm -hmm. And then he said, they will disseminate that onto others also. So giving is spiritual. It's a prerequisite to promotion. Yes. And to earn the blessing and favor of God. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. It's spiritual. You are listening to Justin C. Gleason. Please consider following and keeping this podcast playing in the background of your productive day. Give a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. It's 2022, the year we prevail. Some people looking at this might say, oh my goodness, this is prosperity gospel. Is that the direction we're going? And by prosperity gospel, I mean like the... It's funny, it's hard to define prosperity gospel, even though it's been around for decades, primarily through TV preachers and stuff, but like give and get rich. You know, that's not really what this book is about, and that's not what the scripture is about. Although if you give, it shall be given to you, but... My idea is, I'm not so sure I believe in a prosperity gospel, but I do believe in prosperity. But you write about the type of giving and blessing 
uh, that pleases the Lord and he rewards you for it. So what is the difference between prosperity gospel and a culture of generosity? Okay, that's a great question. So I'll start with a story of a pastor who called me a few years ago. And he said, uh, do you have any advice for me? Our church is struggling financially. And I asked him, I said, how many years have you served as the pastor? I think he said something like 15 years. I said, in 15 years of pastoring this church, have you ever preached a message or taught a Bible study on biblical stewardship? He said, no. Wow. I could not believe my ears. So it begged the question, why have you not preached or taught on giving? And he said, I don't want the church to think that I'm money hungry. Hmm. So right there is a skewed look at a pastor's responsibility and how a church interprets a message on about money it's been skewed by perhaps a previous administration, okay. and we didn't go there. We didn't have that discussion, but maybe there were some comments early on in this pastorate. Well, you know, our previous pastor was this or that. You know, we always heard about money, 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 harping on money. And, you know, maybe that sort of locked him in a, in a jail, so to speak, theologically, where he did not feel at liberty to preach or teach about money, but... Um, any pastor who does not at least once a year give a message or a Bible study on biblical stewardship is not doing his congregation any favors. Now, I will say that, as you mentioned, uh, the the stereotypical, you know, name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, prosperity, mm. you know, uh, <laughs> I need $1,000 from you to help me buy my next $5 million Learjet sort of TV preacher hurts all of us because, in fact, I actually heard one TV preacher say Jesus was wealthy. Jesus was wealthy. Now, never mind the fact, you know, let's not let the Bible get in the way of our theology of Jesus. Never (laughs) Never mind the fact that Jesus said... You know, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Never mind the fact that Jesus had to send Peter fishing so they could pay taxes. Never mind the fact that he borrowed a colt to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Mm. Never mind the fact that he didn't even own a, a, a grave and borrowed Joseph's tomb because he only needed it for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be ridiculous for Jesus to be wealthy. He couldn't be wealthy as far as this world is concerned. He left the splendor of heaven as God manifested in the flesh. What sort of example would that be to us? So he was our humble, suffering servant who made himself of no reputation. Uh, and so there's a lot that we have to come get over in the minds of the public as pastors, but don't let the prosperity preachers rob you or steal from you the true balanced message of biblical stewardship yeah just preach the bible preach the word (laughs) and watch the people give and be blessed that's it you write a story of you were in a a place and a guy not not 
our denomination, but another guy. And he was up there talking about giving and with his hand doing the ka-ching. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. He wrote a book about his revelation of giving. There was four or 5,000 people there. And uh, I couldn't believe my ears or my eyes. He said, I want you to say, money cometh to me. And then, as you said, he reached his hand out like he was pulling a one-armed bandit in the Las Vegas airport or at a casino and making the pulling motion of the one-armed bandit, money cometh forward, backward, in rhythm. Money cometh, money cometh to me right now. And I'm telling you, that place was going crazy. You thought their favorite football team had just won the Super Bowl. They were shouting, screaming, crying, carrying on. Money cometh to me right now. He's. This tells you how long ago it was. He said, when you write your check, right above your name, where you sign your name, hmm. write the words, money cometh. He said... 11 people, it will take 11 people to process your check. 11 people are going to look at your check. And every time they see your name and they see money cometh, they'll be confessing money into your bank account. Uh, and the place went crazy. Oh, So the first casino of the rich Jesus. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if, you believed, if you believed his theology. Oh. That is just crazy crowd psychology. A lot of that goes on. It's it's a weird psychology out there that's not spiritual. It's not God, but through the power of filthy lucre and emotional manipulation. And when we need to get back to the Bible, it just says God loves a cheerful giver. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Render under God what is God's. And it's not about... Uh, and it kind of leads to the next thing I want to talk about. It doesn't. We don't have to use gimmicks like ka-ching, ka-ching, you know. This is not the church of Jesus. This is the casino of Jesus. We don't need gadgets. We don't need any of that. Uh, a gallantry, I think, is a word you wrote. Nice word, gallantry. And uh, you write that it's on uh, page 36. Uh, most people will respond to a well-presented vision or idea. And you can present tithe and offering, of course, that way, always to keep the message alive, but also through special offerings and campaigns. And you write, what does it take to raise a million dollars? A million dollar idea. So, And there's a lot of them in this book, but maybe just share with us a few ideas uh, for a pastor, anybody who wants to preach about giving. What are a few ideas that they can start getting away from the gimmicks and the crowd psychology and all of that and get to preaching, giving the way Jesus intended us to do. Amen. Well, um, I want to say that uh, sometimes I've had pushback about, uh, you know, there's no formal formula of giving in the New Testament. And uh, uninformed people will usually say that people that are against tithing well you know tithing was under the law and there's no and there's no formal formula of giving in the new testament and and so uh the law when the law was enfolded into grace or when the law ended it ended tithing and you know i've never had a tither argue that with me i've never had a giver push back it's usually tight wad unsubmitted uh 
robbers of God that argue against tithing. So tithing did not start under the law. Abraham gave tithe 500 years before the law. Mm -hmm. And Jacob, you know, 300 years before the law. And so uh, what what the law did not initiate it could not terminate when it was full enfolded into into uh, grace, and when you read Matthew chapter five, when Jesus says that grace took everything in the law to a whole new level. For example, he said, uh, and you've heard it said that if a man, com- you know, if he has a, a in- inappropriate physical relationship with a woman, he's committed adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks at a woman, he's committed adultery in his heart. So he takes the sin of adultery to a whole new level. Uh, he said, you've heard it said, you know, um, love your enemies. But he said, I, I say, pray for those that despitefully use you. And so everything, you know, the law of the second mile, you know, in the Old Testament, just go one mile. Under grace, you have to go the second mile. And Zig Ziglar said there's no traffic jams on the second mile. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, an eye for an eye. Grace said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. So when we look at biblical stewardship, we have to embrace the idea that uh, since there is no formal system of giving in the New Testament, and because money is moral, money is not uh, dispensational, it's moral. It's moral. And money, God's plan of giving transcends all dispensations. And so we can well assume that Jesus endorsed tithing. He didn't whack the Pharisees for their tithe, for the fact that they tithed. It's how they always went over the top. They always took things too far. And, you know, they tithed a bite of food in their mouth and all this mm-hmm. ridiculous behavior. So um, Jesus basically endorsed tithing when he endorsed the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And so we have this system. Now, tithing is cut and dried for everybody. It's 10%. It's the first 10%. Yeah. And how do you know what the first 10% is? It's the first 10% you spend. That's the first 10. Mm-hmm. And that's where we establish trust with God. The offering, on the other hand, is not measured by a percentage. It's only measured by the heart. The tithing is God's. And anything that's God's is called holy. And if God says anything is holy, which he says the tithe is holy, that means don't touch it. Don't touch it. There's a curse that falls when we touch things that are branded as holy by God. But the offering we can touch because it comes out of our heart and only the heart can measure the offering. I just, I just, I think just how I've grown up seeing you preach about money, a lot of other guys preach about money, and even just in our camp meetings, general conferences, we've never used gimmicks. You know, we've never uh, had a buy the snake oil and, you know, be healed or any of that. It's always been vision ideas. We've been doing it at conferences for years, you know, and those big, powerful offerings, and then miracles start to happen. And I think so many pastors are afraid to bring that to their local church. 
you know, and you don't need gimmicks. Use the word, right? I mean, do you use gimmicks to get people get baptized? Of course, people did. We used to give them, we were, people were giving bikes and iPads out. That's what followed the lead trash. Got rid of that. <laughs> and so now culture of generosity is getting rid of peanut brittle and, <laughs> and all other things and just preach and uh, watch it happen. So what would you say to the average church that got a, an usher who walks up? You write about this in the book. They He walks up with one of those golden-looking brass uh, offering plates, and the pastor just has the usher pray over the offering. You know, bless those who have to give and bless those who don't have to give. Okay, do we need to get rid of that? And if we do, what needs to replace it? So, yes, uh, those predictable, boring usher prayers uh, – if I'm going to have an usher pray, I want him to pray a biblical prayer. Yeah. A biblical prayer would not be bless those who give and those who have not to give. That sounds really politically correct. That sounds really nice and sweet and generous. But uh, I remember Eli Hernandez was the first one I ever heard say this early on when he was preaching for our church in the early 90s and into really through the 90s. Um, he told our church one time, he said, someone came up to him and said, Brother Hernandez, I want you to pray over my finances. He said, the first question I had to ask him, are you giving? Are you a tither? Do you support your church? He said, well, no. He said, well, I can't pray over your finances. Your finances are cursed by God. I can't reverse the curse. You're the only one that can reverse the curse by beginning to give. And so giving um, is not an income issue. It's a lordship issue. You know, I know a lot of people that are generous with what they don't have, but they are <laughs> worthless stewards of what they do have. They're not being faithful with what they do have. And so uh, we have to keep coming back to the biblical principle and not be afraid as pastors to preach and teach biblical giving and model the behavior we want to see reproduced in our people. David did this in 1 Chronicles 29. When they were raising money for the temple, talk about a million-dollar idea. Yeah. You know, if your vision next year is to paint your bathrooms, that's not going to inspire anybody to give. <laughs> I don't think you'll be successful with that campaign. But if your vision is to, you know, build a life center, build an educational wing, you know, do something to impact more lost people, mm -hmm. uh, that's a compelling vision. Uh, my definition of a vision is a compelling picture of the future that inspires passion. Yes. And as church leaders, we have to understand that there are certain pockets of giving out there in the church. What does that mean? Well, that means that not everybody feels equally as strong about some areas of giving than others. Right. For example, some people just love to be maintenance givers. That would be tithing and, you know, a nominal offering. Mm -hmm. Other people love missions. They want to give to missions. Others love education. Others love children or youth. Some love uh, blessing the community in some benevolent social gospel type way, let's say. Yeah. So if you don't provide those pockets of giving for your church, they're probably going to give it somewhere. But it's just not going to be through your local ministry. Mm. So why not take advantage of the passion that's there, the interest that's there, provide those opportunities to give and see what God will do. Absolutely. And preach it. 
Please Absolutely. Teach it. So what we do at the Life Church, I usually have an annual giving message. Some, sometimes a series of messages. Sure. And I found that the optimum time to preach and teach about giving is in January. And the reason for that is out of all the 12 months of the year, January is the optimum month when people are thinking about making changes. Hmm. They want to diet. Right. You know, they want to lose weight. They want to get a new job. They want to get this right, a clean slate. You know, the old year's over, the new year's coming on. So that's the time when people are most open to change if they're not being faithful in their giving. And it's usually an effective time to preach on that subject. Mm hmm. Amen. And you, uh, yes, it's happened in our church, those giving messages. I've always loved them. You make me laugh. You make me want to give. You share testimonies of what's going on in kids, youth, discipleship making. And you've created a church culture here where you can see where your giving goes to. You know, even without having to look at the books or whatever, anybody can look around and say, wow, something made this happen. And it was the free will offerings. You know, nobody else paid for this church we did that's we didn't right have an outsider step in no you know as much as we would have loved to do that but it would have been robbing us of our blessings that's it so uh god bless the memory of eli hernandez amen uh, okay let's um talk about campaigns building relocation some pastors really want to do it you write in the book about our old church it was a uh, old metal buildings stuck in the woods you had to drive down a a street where not well-maintained lawns or houses. Uh, some people could have been scary to get back in there. But uh, we had church back there, and we started packing it out, and it was time to go. And we, you started casting vision for it in 1998, 1999. One problem, how are we going to get a buyer for this thing? So how do we get a buyer? You write about in the book. Tell, tell us about it. It's, it's a miracle. Yeah, there were a lot of challenges in that location. We were thankful. We had 11 acres, but like you said, it was tucked back in a neighborhood. In fact, it was at the end of a dead-end road. And when you turned into that one-block dead-end, there was a yellow sign there that said, No Outlet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not exactly a good advertisement wow. for a church. <laughs> And so uh, we'd been serving the church about 10 years, and I felt like a relocation was in our future. But you have to give people ownership of a big decision like that. And so I commissioned three teams of about five or six good members of our church each uh, to study various aspects of future growth. One team studied what we could do with our building. Can we expand it? Can we, you know, internally turn something, change something? Uh, another team studied our location. Could we turn the whole building around? We were on an interstate, but you had to make three turns to get to the church. And like I said, the last was down a dead end road. Mm -hmm. So we they studied. They went to the city, asked if we could bring a, a frontage road. The city ruled that out. So that was not an option. Ah. And the third team studied uh, property values in the greater Kansas City area. And, you know, what would 
land acquisition look like financially? And so we took about 60 days. We came back together. Each team presented their report and their findings. And when we were done, we all looked at each other. And the, uh, the conclusion was obvious. A relocation is in our future. And so after I had those gathered information and materials from those teams, we put together a PowerPoint and we presented to our church on a Sunday night. It was Memorial Day weekend on Sunday night, and we just presented the findings. So we prayed, and that was the end of it. Well, on Tuesday, I'm in the office, and I get a knock on my door, and it was a gentleman who introduced himself as Pastor Ray pastor co-pastor of new hope bible church he said um i was having a uh, board meeting with our church board a few days ago and we were talking about purchasing a building we're renting spaces and a man came into our storefront uh, office area poked his head literally in the door through the door <laughs> opened the door and said hey are you guys looking for a church now, I'm just telling you what he told me. He said, well, as a matter of fact, we are. He said, well, there's one for sale over there at uh, Gregory Boulevard in Manchester. Wow. And he said, uh, so what's going Is there any churches for sale? And I told him what I just told your podcast listeners. He said, well, I've got my board out in my van. Can we come in and look at your building? <laughs> wow. I said, well, Sure. So three or four men came in. They looked all around. They loved it. And about nine or ten months later, we had a contract uh, for sale from this church. And uh, that was a real exciting time to know that God sent us a buyer. I didn't know who the perhaps the buyer could be, but God did it. And when God's in it, it's going to be an exciting journey. Yeah. Wow. And then there's just stories of that campaign relocating from 720 South Richmond here to 10400 View High Drive. Um, you know, there was we were looking at quite a few locations, quite a few ideas, but we always had our eyes on this one because it checked all our boxes. But they, when we really got serious about it, it was and and Mom's the one who found a sign. Uh, that had fallen over weeds grown all around it about this property it's like it wasn't even visible for any buyer it's just up here on view high mountain mom found it right Is she like, did yeah yeah so that that's kind of supernatural <laughs> it is we were driving around we really wanted that property we felt good about it um and she said well let me just walk over there and i had the engine running just parked on the side of the road and uh there was a for sale sign laying down in some tall grass wow. and she found the phone number. And this is significant because once we started construction, I had more than one pastor come by and ask me, how did you find this property? How did you find the owner? We, we drove all around this place. We couldn't find it. And we didn't know who to talk to. Wow. And, and uh, so I'm not sure why they couldn't find it on the internet. But anyway, maybe God blinded them so we could exactly be there. exactly what happened. And then one other thing that's interesting, when we first called about the property, it was twice as much as our budget. Mm -hmm. And I told the owner, I said, well, my budget is uh, $400,000. He wanted 800000 
And I said, well, if you ever decide to sell it close to 400000 give me a call. So for the next two years, we looked at 300 pieces of property. We commissioned a team. They all went out with disposable cameras. They took pictures. In fact, you and I went through some of those pictures just the other day. We yeah. found them in a, in a storage box. That's neat. And uh, we ruled all of those things out for various reasons. And so finally, um, the gentleman called me after two years. I'll never forget. I was on my way to St. Louis. He said, Stan, this is Dave. Uh, I've got the property down to 350000 I said, where do I sign? He said, well, we got one problem. I said, what is it? He said, it's under contract with another church group. I said, Dave, I'm the guy that's been beating your door down for two years. How did this happen? He said, well, I lost your number, and they approached me. And I said, well, Dave, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that's where God wants us. I don't know who they are. I don't know anything about them, and I don't even know if you're a Christian or if you think this is God wars. But I'm going to tell you, they will not be able to get their money together. <sighs> Come on. Yeah. And so 30 days went by. They couldn't do it. He renewed the contract. <laughs> Another 30 days go by. They couldn't do it. He renewed the contract. 90 days, they could not get their money together. Finally, he terminated the contract. And the next day, I was in his office with a cold cash check. Woo! Come on. See, this is what happens. We started preaching, giving, commitment, vision, ideas. People started giving. We started doing our part. And guess who steps in and does his part? God. That's right. Such as a church. A Baptist church having a board meeting. Some guy out of nowhere sticks his head in the door, and you write about it in the book. Says, hey, there's a church for sale. And they look up. They're like, who are you? The pastor goes out to follow him. He disappears. That's true. He disappeared. They wanted to ask him some more questions. He said, we ran outside, looked right and left. He was gone. Yeah. I didn't know God had a real estate angel division <laughs> yes. in heaven. Amazing. Yeah. And then another church has a contract on this land. Can't get it together. You know, he lost your number this, but we're still working on it. And didn't you say it was a holy week, 2002, 20 years ago, you, you put a fleece on God and you said, God, if I don't hear something by this coming Sunday at midnight, well, we're, we're done with 10, 400 view God drive. We're moving along. And then that Sunday morning. Well, here's, here's, here's how it exactly unfolded. So I had been in conversation with a gentleman by the name of Buzz Delaney. I think he's passed now. But he owned a lot of property in Kansas City. And if you remember that island on 350 Highway headed toward Raytown, there was a 40-acre piece up that was elevated. It was very attractive. And he and I went and walked that property, and we talked about it. And it was a little bit too pricey for us. But he was a good man to know because he knew a lot about real estate. And so it was Holy Week. It actually was Wednesday of Holy Week. It was the day that our Missouri District Youth Convention began. Right. And I was going to be driving to youth convention later that day. And so about 7 o'clock that morning, I was praying. And I've always believed that fleeces are sort of a sign of weak faith. But I was desperate. Mm. I really needed a word from God because, you know, I had church people coming up, Pastor, we need to go up here, we need to go over here. And anytime you relocate a church 500 feet in any direction, somebody's going to lose and somebody's going to win. Somebody's closer to church, somebody's further away from church. So you have all these emotional attachments and all of these issues to negotiate. So I really needed God to be in it so that I could report that to the church. Absolutely. 
And so I'm praying at 7 o'clock in the morning, God, today, it was actually that day on Wednesday, today, Wednesday. Lord, I, I need to hear a word from day. Let somebody call me who never calls me and let them bring up that property on View High Drive. <laughs> About 2.30 that afternoon, Buzz Delaney, I hadn't talked to him in over a year. He said, Pastor Stan? I said, yes. He said, this is Buzz. I said, hey, Buzz, nice to hear from you. My heart started pounding. Wow. I said, why are you calling? He said, well, I found some property today that I think would be ideal for your church. He said, I don't own it, but uh, I just wanted to mention it to you. I said, where is it? He goes, at the top of the hill on View High Drive. I started crying. He said, Pastor, why are you crying? I told him why I was crying. I said, Buzz, you're an answer to my prayer. He started crying. Wow. And and so that was the confirmation that I needed mm -hmm. to really advance and move forward with a conviction that that is exactly Jesus. where. That wasn't the only confirmation. There were others, but that sealed the deal. Yeah. That's why sometimes we think, God, are you waiting till the last minute? No, he's doing it so when the miracle happens, you can't say man did this. Only God could do that. See how God supernaturally sent us a buyer, supernaturally orchestrated us buying this, and that's what will happen when you start giving. The impossible will happen. You do your part, God will do his part. And so That's what campaigns will do for churches with building relocation, remodels, expansion, all of that. Go ahead. It, it was the most exciting seven years of my life wow. as a pastor. If I could do it all over again, I would do it all over again because wow. we don't have anything until we step out in faith. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. We literally did that. I was shouting one day in the sanctuary, we sold the building, we sold the building. I'm having my prayer time, you know, I'm all alone. We sold the building, woo, look at Jesus, go Jesus. And then all of a sudden it hit me, wait a minute, we sold the building. Yes. Now where are we going? I didn't even <laughs> think about that. You know, that's a minor detail. <laughs> but it was truly an exciting time. And as you already said, there were so many miracles. And here's what I believe. And I've preached this and I live it to the best of my ability. We don't have anything till we step out in faith and make a commitment. But once we step out and make a commitment at every juncture, at every crossroads, at every turning point, God will be there with whatever you need. It wouldn't be there unless you took that step. But since you did, God's going to meet you there at those junctures to help you navigate mm -hmm. to the next place. Wow. Well, campaigns are a big deal. We've done it. There's details in this book. I mean, we're just kind of giving a summary, but this book is so rich with the story of the live church. It's just incredible. Campaigns are big. You know, you start out with nine focused Sundays with a total of 36 months. You know, that's when you're talking big, you know, not to paint the ladies' bathroom or whatever. You know, that's this is big projects, which a lot of pastors are ready to do right now, something big. But uh, you write really good details, really good ideas about just starting with uh, preaching on giving every Sunday and it's short offering sermons. It's something that a pastor can easily do, not just have the head usher pray for those who don't have to give with his little brass offering plate, but the pastor preaches a 30-second giving message. I mean, we preach about baptism, we preach about the Holy Ghost, and when you preach it, it happens. Why not start preaching about giving? 
not prosperity gospel, not ka-ching Jesus casino, but preaching things like you've got a great message in there about the half shekel. Give us a sample of what a giving sermon is right here on this podcast about the half shekel. Sure. So, um, in a pastor is setting culture, either intentionally or unintentionally. Everything we say, everything we do, everything we don't say, everything we don't do contributes to a local church culture. And one of the areas that when I travel, I see as a weakness in our churches is the offering moment, (laughs) the offering segment. Typically, it's a throwaway. Somebody, some nondescript person gets up, the pastor sends them up there to give them some pulpit time, maybe. And they're up there and they'll say, well, we're up here to take up the offering right now. Offering. Yeah. (laughs) And that is a... Uh, the word take should never be used in the context of giving. Why? Because the government takes your taxes uh. out of your check. And uh, the when the police writes your speeding ticket, he's taking $250. You're not giving it and you're not going to be blessed for it. You'll never yeah, you'll never see it again. <laughs> so when when we have the offering segment, the offering segment is very key to setting culture. It only takes a minute or two, but you can be fun, you can be informative, you can be exciting, you can be convicting through a scripture, a story, a personal example, but go to the pulpit prepared. Now, I personally believe that a pastor, the pastor should be the face and the voice of the offering. Amen. I don't use it as a time to develop young preachers. Nobody's going to respect that or pay attention Absolutely. to that. But if the pastor becomes the face and the voice, he is the face and the voice of giving, of the integrity of giving, the stewardship of the church. And so I think that's very, very important. And for the life of me, Justin, I'm trying to remember something about the sermon of the half shekel. So I'll have to go back and read my own book. <laughs> hey, you, you know what? It's you, you, you wrote and preached it out of you. Well, it's stuff. there. It's forever recorded. Yeah. So go read it. Go well, buy the yeah. book and well, read it. No, we learned about it in Israel. You had a full shekel, and a man would come to represent him and his family, and give a half shekel. So the message is: Who's the other? Who's the other half? Who is mm. it? It's us. It's us. There you go. <laughs> well done, sir. So yeah, that right. Like I want to give right now. Amen. Hearing that. You're, when you you there there's it's a 50-50 you're offering half of the, that you give that is you know the blessing of God the other half is your life you know so you we opened up this conversation about calendar and and your bank statements it's committing your life because money is everything Solomon said money answers all things right yes so I think that's in the book too <laughs> plus the shekel of the sanctuary has yeah. a nice alliteration yeah. to it and that was part of some talking points in our campaign after we got in the in the building you know so and, and all of our campaign ideas all of our offerings it's all Bible it's not gimmicks none of that 
And by the way, Justin, I want to say what a great job you did as our campaign director for our Finishing Strong 36-month campaign. You You and Anna were a great face and voice for giving, and you modeled the behavior. Your giving challenged our church. You never divulged your giving. Of course, as pastor, I know what you did, and I know your great sacrifices and your joy in giving, and you gave way beyond your income. Uh, in relational speaking to tithing and offering. And I know God's blessed you for it and will continue to bless you, but your leadership was exemplary during that time. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. You know, Cohen, our second born, was born right in the beginning of that. Uh, We had horrible winter storms during the beginning of that campaign. (laughs) But my God, we prevailed. (laughs) And here we are. People are still giving. You know, because it was... And another thing that we saw miraculously people got job promotions because they started giving like out of the blue job promotions uh a lot of people they you know business owners clients out of nowhere Uh, a lot of people that needed property to sell they sold it a lot of people that wanted to buy a new house miraculously bought a new house one one man in our church uh said that uh on this tuesday after finishing strong Sunday, which was the third Sunday of every month, and we put out these three magnificent gold uh, trophies, championship trophies on black pedestals for people to bring their offering to, and that was until COVID hit, Uh, but we still use them as a visual. But he said that on the Tuesday after the third Sunday of Finishing Strong, our campaign, Without fail, for 36 months, he wrote record business on Tuesdays. And uh, he said, in fact, because of the blessings of God upon his company, that he was able to go out and buy a uh, pontoon for his family, (laughs) a floating family fun uh, object, and he said, I'm naming my pontoon Finishing Strong. <laughs> the name of the campaign. <laughs> yeah. Every family that got involved has a story like that. But one thing we learned was a lot of us, God spoke amounts for us to give. We listened, and it's like, God, how do I give that? But we trusted God, and He supplied and provided the resources to make that commitment. You know, a lot of this extra money that came our way, it wasn't for us, it was for God. Yes. And it's recorded in heaven what we gave. And we laid up treasure for ourselves in heaven. We got treasure we didn't have (laughs) out of nowhere. Well, Jesus said, if you will be generous, you know, uh, well, the Bible teaches, I should say, you know, for whatever man soweth that shall also reap. But Paul's the one who said, if we will be generous in giving, that God will bless us with more generosity so that we can be generous on every occasion, yes. which is the text of the book that we wrote, yeah. that on every occasion we can have enough to be generous with others. Amen. Amen. Listeners, you got to get this book. It's not only for pastors, preachers, but for anybody that wants to learn about this biblical principle of giving. Uh, Some of you college students, you're looking for a miracle. You're wondering, how am I going to get to school? Uh, Start giving. I I, I don't don't care if you're flipping burgers. Start tithing. It works. Watch. God will open the doors for you at college. It's a phenomenal book. And for pastors, preachers, evangelists, uh, district superintendents, it's 104 short offering messages, also 10 sample sermons on giving, and then a lot of incredible stories on what God did. 
uh, through giving here for all of the campaigns, the building relocation here at the Life Church. Amen. Phenomenal book. The Justin C. Gleason podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Please leave a five-star rating and a great review. Contact me at justincgleason at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Justin C. Gleason. And share this episode with your friends. We're taking the genre of religion and spirituality to another level. Dad, I want to go into another segment here. Let's talk about fivefold ministry, particularly what happened at this past general conference, uh, tremendous general conference in Orlando, Florida. And uh, you were in charge of leading the Friday PM service. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, every service was dynamic, phenomenal, flowed very well together. But I particularly want to talk about. Uh, Friday PM, the fivefold ministry emphasis service that you produced, you originated, um, and it just didn't begin this year. But this is something you've been working on for a while. Uh, can you give us some insight on how this kind of began? Sure, you know, a while ago. Thank you for the question. First of all, I want to give all glory to God, and secondly. I commend the leadership of our general superintendent, David Bernard. Absolutely. Who is all things apostolic right. and uh, really wants the church to be situated and operate <clears throat> according to the New Testament Book of Acts model. <clears throat> and so, yes, Friday night was sort of a culmination of about 10 years of trying to be intentional Ten years this has been going on. Wow. Yes. Uh, ten years ago, I I uh, ran an idea by Brother Bernard. He liked it and approved it, so we did it. I uh, uh, initiated a roundtable discussion in Pastor Anthony Mangan's office on the Tuesday of Because of the Times Week. And uh, wow. Brother Tenney was there, Brother Bernard, Brother Anthony, and several others that I invited from our organization to have a conversation about the fivefold ministry. What is it? Who is it? Is this us? Is there room for it? Do we need to make more room for it? And just a conversation. That's the word that, that I feel very comfortable with. So we initiated a conversation. Of course, there's, there's quite a history in our organization about the fivefold ministry. And for a long time, a phrase that comes to my mind is it's been the elephant in the room. Are there modern-day apostles and prophets? And my generation was raised by some who suffered the carnage of the latter reign and the abuse of spiritual gifts. False prophets, oh. false apostles created a lot of havoc. But when you read the Scripture, um, Paul had to deal with false apostles and false prophets and false teachers. And furthermore, um, in the 21st century, in my generation, we've had false evangelists, false pastors, and false <laughs> teachers. See? And we haven't thrown those three aspects of the fivefold ministry away. But to, to be sure and to be real, there is something a little different about apostles and prophets, a little unique. Sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, their spiritual authority, their spiritual, could I say, uh, spiritually eccentric and sometimes we don't understand them. <clears throat> sometimes uh, they don't understand their economy in the body of Christ and get out of bounds. 
And so this is something we have to work on. So after that roundtable discussion, um, Brother Bernard asked us to have a closed ministers meeting uh, on the Thursday morning of general conference, for which we did. And it was very well received. And then over the last few years, we've had three or four uh, seminars at General Conference on the fivefold ministry. The bill, the rooms have always been packed, standing room only. Yeah, they have. Uh, and typically, has been visited by a powerful move of God. Uh, we've had tongues and interpretation just break in and interrupt uh, what we were trying to do. And <clears throat> so, then uh, the executive board gave us permission to have three fivefold ministry discovery conferences across our nation we've already had the first one in san diego in march of this year the next one will be here at the life church march 23 24 and 25 of 2023 awesome brother bernard will be the keynote on that thursday night and by the way sister flo shaw who is our fearless director of world network of prayer and we give her great honor oh yeah because the fivefold ministry committee is working under the banner of world network of prayer and she's been a delight to to work with and she's going to be with us on that wednesday night the 22nd of march uh with a world network of prayer summit on that night to kick off the fivefold ministry discovery conference the next one after uh, 2023, we'll be at uh, Bible World in Chesapeake, Brother Jack Cunningham. Awesome. Uh, I think it's the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of March, 2024. So to get to your question now about Friday night, Brother Bernard and the uh, General Conference Committee were very gracious to do something unusual, extraordinary, and unprecedented for the UPCI and that is to have a representative of the fivefold ministry, five speakers as one voice, preaching from one text. And uh, of course, we got a lot of comments. Boy, this is going to be a long service. You got five preachers looking at who the preachers are. It's going to be a three-hour service. <laughs> In fact, uh, someone asked me right before the service on Friday night, how long is this service going to go? I asked the question. I said, when did Brother Bernard start preaching last night? They said, 8.30. I said, our service will be done tonight by 8.30. <laughs> The altar call will begin at 8.30, and it did. Wow. And it delivered. Yeah, it did. And I've heard nothing but positive feedback. Oh, it's phenomenal. The move of God, the visitation. The things that I'm hearing are unity. Yes. Hunger, mutual submission, and partnership. In fact, I was so proud of our five speakers representing the fivefold ministry. They demonstrated mutual submission. They did. They each spoke under 10 minutes, which was their allotted time. And then God broke in and powerful things happened. So that's sort of the backstory. Oh, yeah. So it took 10 years to do this. It was phenomenal. It's something that we have been trying to restore for a while. It's kind of always been there, but bringing it to just the stage public this is what we are this is what we believe in it's a part of our apostolic doctrine to have these five giftings operating among us at general conference conferences local church across the kitchen table whatever and that is teachers evangelists pastors prophet and apostle 
So I, I want to add this, that the reason this is important is because it's pleasing God. Yeah. It's how he set up the church. And in UPCI, we have structural authority and we have spiritual authority. Mm, good way to put it. We have a, This is Brother Bernard's language, yeah. and this is the right way to talk about it. We have a structure. We have a general superintendent. We have district superintendents and so on. And we elect these people. And you can say they're not biblical offices, but I will tell you, having served as a district superintendent, that something came on me, some sort of a mantle, some sort of anointing. And I'm going to tell you something else. When I was no longer serving that office, it lifted from me. Wow. I, I could real. I could almost take you to the day, the place, and the time, about three months after I was no longer district superintendent, when that mantle lifted from me. And and so uh, God is pleased when we try to do what we can within our structure to obey him and let him have it the way he wants it. And so we we want Justin, I want your generation perhaps to do a better job than my generation of honoring mm-hmm. and and flowing in fivefold ministry because I'm convinced we have to have modern day apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and teachers to equip the saints. We will not have the revival that God has for us. We will not reach the cities that God wants us to reach. We will not impact the nations that God wants us to impact. We will not have the miracle signs and wonders that are already in heaven's bank account for us to draw out unless we have the fivefold ministry in place. We need their spiritual authority. We need their partnership. We need their mutual submission. And we need the power that God gives them so that we can do what God has called us to do. Wow. That is always phenomenal. Thank you so much. Uh, Dad, you're truly a great man. A great man. <laughs> Let's go to lunch. <laughs> Amen. Well, I've raised a great man who's a great man, too. <laughs> raised a couple of them. Yeah, you do. Amen. So I believe in you. I believe in your generation. And thank you for the opportunity to have a voice. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, go and buy A Culture of Generosity. Get on YouTube to the United Pentecostal Church channel and watch Friday p.m. of the Fivefold Ministry Service. We'll see you here in Kansas City this coming March for the Fivefold Ministry Conference. God bless you. (laughs) 